0: All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this homeless man jumps in front of me. And he looked like a typical homeless man with stringy hair and scraggly beard and dirty slept-in clothes. Um, but instead of going around him, as I usually did when I encountered homeless people on the street, um, something uh, made me stand there and, and, and wait uh, and, and, and look at him, because his eyes were these amazing, sparkling, dazzling blue eyes that sort of transfixed me. And I stood there like a deer caught in the headlights. And, and what, what his eyes were doing, is, it, it seemed to me that he was sort of penetrating deeply within me, like right down to the depths of my soul. And I felt that he knew everything about me, everything I'd ever said and done, uh, all my hopes and aspirations, my fears and anxieties and sort of the whole picture, which was strange because we'd never met before. And at the same time, he was sending me this wave of, of pure, unconditional love that was just infusing my whole body with a, a, an amazing sense of peace and security. So it was a wonderful feeling. I stood there for a while, don't know how long, and finally he broke the spell by saying, why are you here? Then he quickly disappeared into a nearby store so when i collected my wits about me finally I you got to
1: you're listening relax. to karen swain teacher of the deliberate positive creation accentuating the positive showing, showing you a that way that to a better life
0: accentuating the positive it's not just bad it's sanity who in their right mind would accentuate anything else
1: hi guys karen here for another exciting conversation with Inspired Minds on Accentuate the Positive Media. This one's gonna be really interesting. Garnet, who we're going to meet in a minute, contacted me, he found me through YouTube and sent me his story and I was blown away. I was like, wow, this guy is fantastic. Can't wait to have a chat with this guy. Let me tell you a little bit about Garnet Schulhauser is a retired lawyer who lives in Victoria on Vancouver Island with his wife, Kathy, and his little dog, Abby. He grew up on a small farm in Saskatchewan and moved to Calgary, Canada after law school, where he practiced corporate law for over 30 years with two blue chip law firms. After retiring from his law firm in 2008, he began his new career as an author and his first book, Dancing on a Stamp, was published in 2012. Since the release of his first book, Garnett has been active with book signing tours and speaking engagements and has been a frequent guest on radio talk shows. You just wait to hear Garnet's story. It is extraordinary at best and delightful. So many people are waking up. Something happened around 2006, 2007. A lot of the people that I'm speaking to had extraordinary experiences. Even if they were awake, they still had extraordinary experiences which kicked their butt and got them going on this uh, trajectory that we're on in this shift in our world, waking up our consciousness and all of us remembering who we are and the dormant infinite potential Inside all of us, all of us have incredible potential to manifest, to create our world, to create the life that we want when we are connected, when we're co creating with our broader perspective, with our source. Some people call it God, or you could call it your angels, your broader perspective, your infinite potential, the quantum field, the infinite field of all possibility, whatever you want to call it. This is another fascinating adventure with someone who discovered that in an extraordinary way. Have a listen to Garnet's story. Morning in Sydney, Australia. So good evening to you in Canada. It's lovely to meet you, Garnet.
0: Good morning to you in Australia.
1: (laughs) So great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Now, you have a fascinating story. I loved your story. So we'll just... Go over your story for people that haven't heard it. You were working as a solicitor, as a lawyer for 30 years and something extraordinary happened to you. Do you want to tell us what happened?
0: Yeah, it was in May of 2007, Karen, and I was still practicing law then. And I was walking down the street one afternoon, one sunny afternoon, and all of a sudden out of nowhere, this homeless man jumps in front of me. And he looked like a typical homeless man with stringy hair and scraggly beard and dirty slept in clothes. Uh, But instead of going around him, as I usually did when I encountered homeless people on the street, something made me stand there and and wait and, and look at him because his eyes were these amazing, sparkling, dazzling blue eyes that sort of transfixed me. And I stood there like a deer caught in the headlights. What what his eyes were doing is it it seemed to me that he was sort of penetrating deeply within me, like right down to the depths of my soul. Mm. And I felt that he knew everything about me, everything I'd ever said and done, uh, all my hopes and aspirations, Mm. my fears and anxieties, and sort of the whole picture, which was strange because we'd never met before. And at the same time, he was sending me this wave of pure unconditional love that was just infusing my whole body with an amazing sense of peace and security. So it was a wonderful feeling, I stood there for a while, don't know how long, and finally he broke the spell by saying, why are you here? Then he quickly disappeared into a nearby store. So when I collected my wits about me finally, I went into the store to try to find him because I was very curious about who he was and why he had stopped me. But he was nowhere in the store, couldn't be seen anywhere. I went back out on the street, walked up and down. He had disappeared into thin air. So the next day, I resolved to come back to that same street the same time in the afternoon and see if I could find him. So I came back the same next day, walked up and down the street, and after about 15 or 20 minutes, and when I was about to lose hope, I spotted him sitting alone on a bench. And so I went up to him and I said, who are you and why did you stop me the other day? And he said, well, I'm a soul just like you, and I'm here to answer your questions and help you on your journey. And then my skeptical lawyer brain kicked in. You can never lose your skeptical lawyer brain, Karen, no matter how hard you try. It kicked in and I I said, well, why do you think you can help me when you can't even help yourself? Because you've been sleeping on the street for weeks and you smell like a dead fish. Well, he just gave me a big smile. And he said, you know, looks can be deceiving because you look like you're a very successful corporate lawyer with everything under control, but we both know that's just the facade. He said, you know what, if you wanna turn around and go back to your office, you can see if you can find the answers you've been seeking on all those emails waiting for you on your computer or you can sit down and chat with me. So luckily my intuition was screaming at me that I should sit down and talk to this guy because what did I have to lose? Half an hour of my day, no big deal. So I sat down on the bench beside him and we started a dialogue that went on off and on for the next several months. I found out his name was Albert and he was really one of my spirit guides in disguise and he told me I was the only one who could see him physically as the homeless man. Mm -hmm. So if other people had been passing by the street that day, they would have seen me sitting on the bench by myself. When I asked him, why did you appear to me physically initially, because after the first three meetings, he no longer showed up as the homeless man, he was just a voice in my head and we communicated by telepathy. And Mm -hmm. he said he showed up initially as the homeless man in physical form to sort of ease me into the conversation, because had he just started talking to me, Out of the blue, as a voice in my head, I probably would have thought I was losing my mind. And he's right. I probably would have. So that was his way of easing me into the conversation. And then once I was comfortable with him, he no longer needed to show up in in physical form. So that's how he came into my life.
1: This story sounds so fantastic to people that, you know, maybe don't understand the infinite possibility of physical and non-physical dimension. To me, it doesn't sound crazy. To me, it sounds fantastic. And I totally get why he said that he manifested in a semi-physical form. What I find interesting is that to others looking at you, you were sitting on a park bench, a man in a suit, a very conservative lawyer looking man in a suit, talking to yourself. That's (laughs)
0: That's <laughs> exactly what, how it would have appeared according to Albert. And w- w- again, it, it never occurred to me because I was I was I thought everyone could see him like I could. Exactly,
1: so. which yeah, exactly, which is fascinating. And then walking down the street, you would have been walking down the street and then stopped. People would have seen you just stop for no reason. <laughs>
0: It's like, what happened to that guy? Why is he stopping? What is he looking at?
1: So it begs the question, you know, when you see people doing strange things, maybe there's something else going on that we don't know about. And another question I wanted to ask you about, Albert, is um, you tell us about the first conversation that he had where he says, maybe I've got some things to share with you. And you were skeptical thinking, what could you possibly share with me? What was the first conversation that you engaged in once you decided that you were going to have a chat with Albert, that you, you know, maybe you're going to listen to this guy, he's got something to say. What, what did you discuss?
0: I mean, basically, I tried to find out why he was here and, uh, and why he had appeared in front of me and what his purpose was. And he said, Well, you've been asking yourself all of life's eternal questions over and over for the last number of years. Yeah. You know, the questions like, Who am I? Why am I here? Yep. What's my life's purpose? Yep. And then the big one, of course, is what happens to me when I die. I was raised as a Roman Catholic, and I knew that the answers that they would have given me, and, and they taught me as a child, but I had rejected a lot of that when I got by the time I was in my 30s. And I was looking for a new paradigm to latch onto, some new belief system that really made sense to me, and that felt true in my heart. And so he said, I'm here to answer your question, so he did. He answered all those questions and many others in a very truthful, forthright manner. And I just felt very comfortable with his answers and I knew that what he was telling me was the real truth. And so our conversation actually started that very first day and continued on, off and on. And, and he told me early on, uh, Karen, that he wasn't here just to answer my questions, but he wanted me to write a book about what he told me so that everyone else could have access to what his revelations, what he told me. And so. I was a bit taken aback by that. I had never thought it, like, it never occurred to me that I would ever write a book. It never, wasn't even on my radar. Uh, I was reluctant at first, dug in my heels a bit, but he was very gently persuasive, as spirits tend to be. Yeah. And after a while, I just caved in and said, okay, Albert, I'll write your book. And I did. And it took me a while to sort of, uh, you know, after every conversation, I took a lot of notes about what we said. And I just sort of kept them on the computer, not knowing what I was going to do with them, and it seemed like a good idea. So eventually those notes turned in, I turned them into my manuscript. And Albert told me that he wanted my first book, which was Dancing on a Stamp, to be really... He he said, lose all the legalese that you're used to writing with. He said, make it easy to read and understand for people who don't have any background in spiritualism or metaphysics or anything like that, so make it very easy to understand. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And so. I lost any of the esoteric concepts that I might have otherwise put into it because you know how lawyers are and, they, and how they write. Um, and so I try to make it very simple, and I, I think I managed to do
1: that. Something happened in 2006, 2007, 2008. There seems to be so many people that I'm speaking to right now that even when they were awake, something happened to them to really increase their awareness of who they are. So there was some sort of energy happening to a lot of people at that time. Because when I talk to people about their stories, they say, oh yeah, happened in 2006, 2007, 2008, that's around the time. But that's a very important point that you made that you were asking. You see, this didn't happen randomly to a lawyer who has a perfectly happy life, walking down the street this happens to a soul who's asking and i believe that all of us have our questions answered in some way and i love your way it's an extraordinary way and i love the way albert shows up physically because you wouldn't listen to the voices in your head (laughs) likely not (laughs) you would just palm them off as crazy thinking it's beautiful that he showed up in answer to your asking so You were asking, why am I here? There must be another reason. It can't just be all about that. What did he tell you?
0: He says, I'm here because I chose to come here. He said, you know, God or the source or the creator didn't make me come to earth. No one else did. I chose it myself. Before I incarnated, I was a soul on the spirit side, which is where we all come from, where we all return to. And I came here to experience things on the earth plane that just aren't available to souls on the spirit side. Because on the spirit side, there's no negative emotions, no negative anything. It's all a very happy place, full of love. And uh, the things that, that exist on earth, like the negative emotions and the harsh physical conditions, just aren't uh, in existence. And so we can, on the spirit side, you can sort of learn about what, what goes on on the planet earth. But it's like book learning. And you don't really get a complete knowledge and understanding till you actually incarnate in physical form and experience it firsthand. So he said, that's why I'm here. I chose to. And before I came, like everyone else, I prepared a life plan. And that life plan set out the major circumstances of my proposed new life. Things like where I was going to be born, the first language I would learn, the identity of my parents and siblings and friends and coworkers. And I set this up deliberately so I could experience what I wanted to experience and what I wanted to learn. And so you know that's why i'm here but he cautioned me he said your life plan doesn't predetermine everything in your life because two things two reasons for that the first one is when you when once you're born you don't remember you have a life plan Mm -hmm. and you don't remember where you came from Mm -hmm. and the second thing is you have free will to take actions and make decisions Mm -hmm. And, and so the combination of these two means that we will very often stray off our intended course and that's just part of a a life on earth. And, you know, but but he said, no matter what happens, no matter how many mistakes you make or how far off course you go, it doesn't matter. You can never go wrong or become lost because you'll always end up back on the spirit side. And if you don't experience something in this life that you had wanted to experience, you can come back and back and back as many times as you want. So it's all a learning experience to help us grow and evolve. Um, And so that in in simple terms is why we are here.
1: It's interesting. You know, we all have different intentions while we come and we all choose different experiences according to those intentions. And you chose to be in a Catholic, Roman Catholic faith. And you chose a very conservative career path to be a solicitor, to be a lawyer. And you did that for most of your life. And you seemingly led this very normal life. And now you're out there (laughs) spreading this message from your spirit guide. (laughs) How did that, how did that fit in with your life plan? Let, let us ex- understand well, yeah. that a
0: bit better. See That I don't know because Albert will not tell me what I have in my life plan. Yeah. He doesn't give me personal advice. He says, right. I have to struggle through my life trying to decipher that just like everyone else. He talks to me directly to answer my questions and, and to give me things to write about. But when I ask him, so what's in my life plan? What's up for me next? You know, what do I do when I come to the crossroads? He says, figure it out for yourself because I'm not going to help you. It would spoil your journey if I told you what was coming up. It would make things too easy. So as much as I tried, he won't tell me those things. So he did say that his encounter with me, it had been planned beforehand before with with he and I, that we had planned this. Of course, I didn't remember any of this, but he said it was planned that we would have this encounter and that he would talk to me and I would would write a book, not just one book, but he tells me I'm going to do four or five. I've written three so far. I'm working on number four right now, and he says there's gonna be more. So I just follow his marching orders. But in, in terms of what else happens to me in my life, I don't know. And it's still a mystery to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. But do you understand why you chose to be a, a lawyer? Does it help you now with the, what you're doing?
0: Oh yeah, I think it does because it helps me uh, It helps me work with words because as a solicitor I work with words all the time, writing documents and writing letters and, and offering memorandum prospectuses and so on. So I learned to be a reasonably good wordsmith which helps me in terms of writing. Um, and I also have a very analytical mind and so that I think that really does help me in writing my books. The interesting thing is that uh, the first one was a struggle, the second one was a lot easier, the third one was easier still so I'm getting better and quicker at writing books and uh, hopefully that continues because I really quite enjoy it. To be frank, it's much more enjoyable than practicing law.
1: (laughs) And you did that for a long time, 35 years. 34 years, yeah. 34 years. Okay, so you've you've met the homeless man and you're sitting on a park bench having a chat with him and how is that fitting in with your life as a lawyer? Like you're going back to work and you're thinking about what this man's telling. What's going on for you at that time?
0: Well I I mean it it was bewildered to be frank initially it was sort of like, okay, this how did this sort of happen to me? Yeah. This new thing came into my life totally different from my life beforehand. And so I struggled with it um, and, and I didn't know quite how to handle it. But after a few months, it just became apparent to me that this guy came into my life to give me a new path to follow. And after that, practicing law just didn't seem to be very relevant to me. It was sort of like, why am I doing this? I need to go on my new path. And so a year after i met him basically about a year i retired from my law practice and so i I moved from where i was in calgary to the west coast of canada then i started eventually getting around to writing my manuscript it took a while for me to sort of get my my butt in gear to get going on it but when i did and it took me probably about a year to finish it um, and then after i'd finished it then i had a real struggle karen because this what i revealed in this book was very different from how people knew me as a lawyer, because I was very much of a button-down, straight-laced kind of lawyer. So I was concerned, like, would my friends and family think I was crazy, would they reject me? What would happen once I published my book? So I struggled with it, and at times I felt like I should just throw the manuscript into a drawer, and lock it, and never uh, let it see the light of day. Mm -hmm. But after a while, I just thought, I have to do this. Mm -hmm. And as my friend Sherry Cortland, who's one of my fellow Ozark Mountain authors, has said, I decided to come out of the spiritual closet, yeah. and I found a publisher. And, you know, my family's been very good about it. Um, I have lost some of my friends and colleagues along the way. Yeah. Um, and, and I just know because some of them have never spoken to me since. Wow! And I know that they don't want to say that they think I'm crazy, but I know they're thinking that. Yeah. But I knew that would happen. But I've made a lot of new friends as well. So overall, it's been a great experience.
1: You know, I often think I should call this show Coming Out of the Spiritual Closet. <laughs>
0: Because
1: so many people I speak to are having this experience that you're having, you know. I've actually always been out of the spiritual closet and always been judged as crazy and a hippie and all that sort of stuff. But you know, that's just part of the course. I've got to say, I think the world is changing. I think that people are waking up to, you know, new ideas, new paradigms, new concepts. And I'm surrounded by crazy people now that are all on the same frequency as me. So it's very lovely. It's a new world that we live in. But I was having a bit of a discussion with a friend of mine about your story gorgeous healer called Clive he pointed out for you very much the lesson was around judgment because Albert showed up as a homeless man so to a professional to a conservative professional there would be judgment there and as you said your skeptical mind said what can you tell me when your life is not together so there was a whole lot of judgment there for you and then that sort of turned completely around and then the judgment was on you you know what I mean so you You've had this lesson in judgment. Can you speak about that, how it's changed your life?
0: Well, for sure. I, I look at homeless people much differently now yeah. than before. I mean, yeah. that's not surprising. Yeah. I mean, before, you're right, I was very judgmental. And I'd see them on the street and I would think, you know, please get out of my way. Why don't you go and find a job and make something useful all of your life? Not knowing their circumstances, where they've been, where they came from, what they've gone through. After meeting Albert, I have a, a much different uh, viewpoint of them, and I and, and I don't I don't stop and talk to every homeless person I meet, but I, I look at them and I think, okay, you're there for a reason. I don't know what led you to this point in your life, but it's there for a reason, and I hope that you uh you enjoy your journey, and if if you're intended to be a, a homeless person until you die on the street, then uh, you know, g- good for you. Go ahead and do it, and uh, you know you're going to end up back in the spirit side, regardless of what happens to you. So uh, yeah. it's, it, I look at it much differently now.
1: Yeah. So it's like you look at each person's life path as just a different experience, because as Albert has taught you, and what he's teaching all of us is that it's all about experience. There is no right and wrong. There is just experience that we can learn from we can we can allow the experience to crack open our heart or we can allow it to close it down really and I, it sounds like your heart's just been wide open now
0: yeah pretty much and, and thanks to elbert that has happened and i feel yeah. much better about it not just more compassion for people that i meet on the street or everywhere else but also for for animals because animals are also going through a journey and and one of the things that surprised me a bit in my early conversations was that he said i asked them do animals have souls He said, you need only look into the eyes of your little dog to find your answer, which is very true. He says, yeah, absolutely they do. And and in fact, he said a lot of humans have had previous incarnations as animals on Earth before. Because when you're new to the Earth plane, I mean, Earth is a very difficult school, really a tough school. Mm -hmm. And, And when you're a new soul looking to incarnate on Earth, oftentimes you'll start off with a more simpler life, like some, like some of the animals, because human lives are very complex, very difficult, very challenging. And so a lot of times you will start off with easier lives and then move up to a human. Although there are some advanced souls who just jump right into the deep end of the pool and, and start out as humans, but it's, uh, it's a very tough school. And so, Albert has told me many times, humans should pat themselves on the back for being courageous enough to jump into this tough school called Earth.
1: For sure. Oh. Hallelujah, Albert. So, what did your wife think about all this?
0: Well, I didn't tell her about my encounters for the longest time because I was concerned about what she might think.
1: Yeah, how long? But
0: finally, I sort of, I sort of let it slip, and I, I sort of in pieces, and I said, you know, dear, I'm, uh, I'm going to write a book, and she said, oh, okay, um, and she said, you know, what's it about? And and I said, well, it's about my encounter with a homeless man on the street, and she said, oh, and then a little later on, I let on that this homeless man was actually one of my spirit guides. Well, <laughs> she. Uh, And actually, she took it very well because she's actually quite a spiritual person herself. Okay. Okay. Because she had had um, a couple of spiritual encounters with her mom and dad shortly after they each passed away. Right. They were very real and loving encounters and, and she just knew that they were trying to contact her from the other side. And so she was very quite aware of that and she believed it all and she just encouraged me. She said, great, good for you, go for it. And she was quite happy that I'd found a new, a new path to pursue a new, uh, a new career to launch after my legal career. So it was all very good. And my, we have two sons and they were very good about it as well. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy. They're very supportive.
1: Ah, there you go. Don't you love that? All right. I'm loving Albert. I'm just loving Albert. I want to get into, um, you've, you've actually said a bit of what Albert's been teaching you, but what was the first book based on? And why did you call it Dancing or Dancing on a Stamp?
0: Well, the title came from, it was interesting because um, at one point during our conversation, I was complaining about something that wasn't going right in my life. And Albert said to me, he says, your problem is that you spent too much of your life standing still. Uh He said, imagine if the world is like a big, beautiful ballroom and there's a band playing wonderful dance music and everyone around you is up swirling around the dance floor, dancing to the the rhythm of the the band. And he said, you've spent too much of your time on one spot, like wearing leg shackles. And he said, you need to break free and stop dancing on a stamp. (laughs) And so that phrase just stuck in my mind. And when I was looking for a title for my first book, I said to him, should I use this? And he said, yeah, absolutely, it's a good title. So that's where that came from.
1: Love it. I love it. Stop dancing on a stamp. And when you were writing the book, was it just like you were automatic writing, channeling, or were you hearing Albert talking to you in your head and you were writing down what he was saying or?
0: No, actually, when I was conversing with Albert, I would usually sit in a quiet room and uh, sort of call him up and then he would. we would speak telepathically. I would take notes as we were talking, as okay. best I could. And then when we finished the conversation, I would go to my computer and try to uh, input him as quickly as I could. Okay. And so then I had this big raft of notes and then from there, that's what I worked out my manuscript from, from these notes. And so he wasn't talking to me when I was typing or, or writing, well, he was talking to me when I was taking my notes he wasn't talking to me when i was writing my manuscript so uh, and so he he would sort of come into my life off and on when he was ready for this When i would when he thought i was ready for the next set of of uh, revelations or i had a question for him
1: yeah yeah so, now, so it is,
0: wasn't a constant uh, sort of conversation
1: this is something that's really interesting too because you've spent your life being in your analytical mind and i can't imagine you were doing too many creative things like dancing or painting or maybe you were but how did you develop that intuitive skill to actually communicate with albert
0: Uh, well it it was a direct result of albert's uh, intervention i think he 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 just sort of opened me up to him and his uh his Mm -hmm. communication i had never tried it before um i had you know i had meditated uh off and on before never had any contact direct contact with my spirit guides Uh, and so this was just a totally surprise out of the blue to have this guy come and, and speak so directly because he said Everyone has guides and they all speak to us or send us messages but they're always very subtle like intuitive flashes or whispers in your mind and so in this case he came to me very directly which was unusual because he wanted to make sure that I understood completely what he was saying so I could write my books and so this was just sort of a very special one-off kind of a contact so and, 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 he, and, and I, don't, I don't have that contact with my other guides and I have to try to hear the whispers in my mind like everyone else.
1: Yeah. I remember years ago, Deepak Chopra said that your ego yells and spirit whispers. But actually, as you attune to the energy, I find that my guides absolutely yell at me. Sometimes they're like, "Oh, Karen, get over yourself!" You know, it's like they're yelling at me. I'm like, "Okay, okay." (laughs) I hear them very clearly these days. But you do have to attune to the frequency of them. How did you? How did you do that? How did you attune to the? frequency of Albert? Did he, because for people wanting to wake up to their own communication with their own spirit guides, it's great to hear how other people have done that. So how did you attune to the frequency of Albert, you know, when you were listening to him in your own?
0: I didn't have to do anything, Karen. Albert did it all. But how did you know it was him
1: and not your imagination?
0: Because I recognized his voice. Right. I recognized his voice from the time when he appeared physically as the homeless man. So it was, it was quite clear. There was no no doubt in my mind whatsoever this was Albert Um, and so and he just did it I didn't have to do anything he would all I do is I would sit quietly in a chair and say Albert are you there Uh, I would think this and he would say yeah I'm here I'm always here I'm always with you 24 7 so don't ever worry about me leaving you
1: (laughs) fantastic so what's one of the most profound things Albert has told you, I suppose he's told you many profound things, especially to someone who had been asleep to this awareness when you were working as a solicitor, because I can't imagine you were thinking too much about spirit guides and physical experiences versus non-physical experiences and past lives as animals and stuff like that. I don't think that they were things that you were thinking about while you were working as a solicitor, were they? No, no.
0: Although I always ask myself the big eternal questions of life, but I wasn't thinking in terms of spirit guides or communicating with them. Some of the things that were most profound to me in, in our initial conversation was that he, and this is coming from somebody who's raised as a Roman Catholic, he said, mm-hmm. God or the source doesn't control events in our lives and doesn't make rules for us to follow. Yeah. Like God just lets us choose our own course and whatever we do is fine. There's no absolute right or wrong. And when we die, there's no judgment or no punishment. So there is no hell, contrary to what the Catholic Church has been saying for years, and we all go back to the spirit side. So that was kind of a, it was very comforting in a way um, to know that. Um, And the other thing that was really uh, probably the the most surprising to me was he said, no one on earth dies by accident. We leave when our soul is ready to leave the incarnation. And so... Even though a plane may crash and 300 people all die in in what seems to be an accident, Albert says, no, their souls were all ready to leave. They chose that time and place to go back to the spirit side. So that was also very interesting. And uh, Mm -hmm. he said that in our life plans, actually, before we come here, we build in some exit points that we may be able to use. And as we move along in life, we can choose, do I want the first exit point or should I pass and keep on going? And it's sort of up to us and we can change these as we go Mm -hmm. because every night, When we sleep, our souls leave our physical bodies and go back to the spirit side. And there we consult with our guides and we can actually fine tune and adjust our life plans. But of course, we generally don't remember these trips. Wake up in the morning and it's like, oh, you know, nothing's happened to me. I've been here all night.
1: I know, Garnet. I know. Because, you know, I know that... Every night we die, so to speak. We reemerge and we reemerge back to our broader perspective and have that communion with our higher self or spirit guides or whatever. And every morning I try to remember that. And sometimes I do, but pretty much 99% of the time I don't. And it's kind of frustrating because when you know that you're off you know, you're in that knowing, you're in that place of fine-tuning your life, you're in that, you've got all the answers, do you know what I mean? And then we come back into this perspective where we've forgotten, we don't have the answers. So it's kind of like, oh, can't remember. <laughs> do you find that in the morning or you don't do that?
0: Well, that, I generally did. But then after my first encounters with Albert, he showed up in my life again in a in a very different format. And, and what happened was that I was uh, sleeping in bed and I woke up and sort of sat up in bed, and I saw this ghost-like ethereal figure standing in the doorway. And when it moved closer, I recognized it as Albert, but he was in astral form.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I said to him, you know, hi, Albert, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I'm gonna take you on a series of astral out-of-body adventures, because I wanna show you things on the spirit side, other planets in the universe, I wanna show you things that I want you to write about in your second book. And so then he just literally grabbed me by the hand, pulled my astral body out of my physical body, and I turned around and looked, and my body still sound asleep in bed. And he led me up through the, up through the ceiling. When you're in astral form, of course, you have no mass. Yeah. You're, just, you're just energy. Yeah. Led me up through the ceiling, up through the clouds, and we hovered above our beautiful planet and let me turn around and look at it. And it was really a breathtaking scene to see our beautiful planet from that perspective. And then from there, he, he took me through a shimmering doorway to the spirit side, and I had some adventures there, met with the council, wise ones, and he took me to a number of other amazing places I could get to them when you're ready for that. But it was uh, so those astral trips, after every trip I came back into my body, he took me back, I sort of slid back into my body. Next morning I would wake up, I would remember my trips very, very vividly. And I knew they were dreams because any other dream I've had before in my life sort of slips away very quickly and it's gone within a couple of hours after I wake up. And these memories stayed with me for months and months very vividly. So I knew they were real, they weren't a dream. I really quite enjoyed everything he showed me. And that that was the start of my second book, Dancing Forever with Spirit. And after those sets of adventures, he came back again in my life once I'd finished my second book and took me on another series of excursions, astro excursions. And that is the subject matter of my third book, Dance of Heavenly Bliss, which will be released in early 2016.
1: Garnet, you've had a fantastic time with Albert. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm envious. <laughs> I want to go flying around the universe with Albert. Actually, oh, it's
0: a lot of fun. Yeah, but, but you know, Albert didn't do it to entertain me. No, I it wasn't don't. for my for my fun. Every place he took me, there was a lesson to be learned or a nugget of wisdom, and he did it. He had a very specific agenda, which he never. Disclosed to me, but every place was was a place that I had uh, had a lesson to learn, and he wanted me to write about it. So it was really, uh, but it, it was fun. But sometimes he showed me some things that were actually a little upsetting and distressing. That that's just the way the universe is.
1: So let's talk about that. I've been ta- having a lot of discussions lately with people talking about future Earth. There's like a generation of kids on our planet that are here to really wake up the blind humans that are only thinking about money and finance and not thinking about the future of our planet and the future of the beings that live on it. What was Albert showing you about the future of Earth?
0: Well, he wouldn't show me the future of Earth, right. uh, but he did tell me that he and the, and the good spirits and the spirits that were very concerned about uh, where humanity was right now. He actually took me to the appear before the Council of Wise Ones, which is this, very, this group of very wise advanced souls whose job it is to oversee all the incarnations on Earth. The chair of that committee, her name was Sophia, said, Mm -hmm. we brought you here because we want you to take a message back to your fellow humans. She said that we're at a very crucial point in our development. Uh, We have very advanced technology, but our emotional and spiritual intelligence has not kept pace. And so we let our negative emotions run amok. That results in strife and conflicts and murders and killings and genocide and wars and all that sort of thing. And because we have developed weapons of mass destruction, she said, we could wipe off all the life on our planet if we un- unleash those. Mm-hmm. And we have to be very careful. And what we need to do is discard our negative emotions, embrace love and compassion, and raise our vibrations. Mm-hmm. And once we raise our vibrations high enough, we'll end up at, at what she called our planet in a higher dimension, which, which some people refer to as the new earth. So that was the target that, that they, they want us to achieve. And they hope that we can do it before we end up crashing and burning like some of the other human civilizations before us like atlantis and lemuria and and albert says there's been a a number of others we haven't even discovered yet Mm -hmm. so we've been on this up and down cycle uh, over the history of our planet they're hoping that this group right now our civilization can get over that hump and, and make the transition and so one of the things they've been doing is is they've been sending a lot of uh messages to earth through various different channels around the world you know like like yourself, people who host radio shows, people who write you? books and blogs. Yeah, yeah people who speak uh, at public gatherings. And the pace of that has really increased recently because we're really at a, at a crucial point. And they've also been getting volunteers, advanced souls, to incarnate on our planet, you know, to give to children that are, have been born and are being born right now. Their role is to steer us on the spiritual path of enlightenment, to teach us by example, to spread the message. And so it's really a concerted effort. that's why when you mentioned earlier that there's so many people have talked about things happening in 2006 or 7 or 8, that's just part of this wave of communications and revelations and inspirations that's been happening. And so they're really hoping we can take the next step. And just to show, and it seemed kind of depressing to me when he showed me all the bad things that are happening on our planet. He said that he's very confident that we can make the transition, we can make the change, and that we don't necessarily all have to make the ascension at once. We can do it, most of the time we do it individually, sometimes in small groups. Okay. And to show me that there is light at the end of the tunnel, he actually took me to visit the new Earth in a higher dimension. And what which did it was look really- like? Well, it looked like our Earth, except that uh, I met with a, with a group of people with a civilization there who were the descendants of the civilization that had lived on our Earth eons ago in Central America and they had managed to orchestrate a mass ascension to escape a barbarian army that was encroaching on their territory because these people were peace-loving, they didn't have any weapons, couldn't defend themselves, Mm -hmm. and so they did this because they were very spiritually aware, they orchestrated a mass ascension. So the the people I met with in the New Earth, they were their descendants. Wonderful place. There's no negative emotions, no crime, no money, nobody has to work, they don't pollute their planet, Uh, they treat the other creatures with dignity and respect, they eat only liquid food made from plants, and uh, they've learned how to slow down the aging process and to ward off disease and to repair injured tissue so that they all live to be several hundred years old. Um, so it, it's just a, an amazing place and they, they're free to enjoy the peaceful splendor of their planet and pursue win- wisdom and knowledge. And when they leave their bodies, they go back to the spirit side just like we do, except they've had a way more pleasant time in the, in, in the meantime while they're in physical form.
1: You know, I'm sure there are many other dimensions that have different forms of experience. That would be just one of them. But um, I often wonder, you you know, I understand the benefit of the contrast that we have in this physical dimension. And I often wonder in a place like that, that has little to no contrast, because, you know, in spirit, we have no contrast, because as you said, we're pure positive energy. Well, actually, you said that, I can't remember your words, but everything's happy. But, you know, we reemerge back to pure positive energy, so there's no contrast. So what would Albert say about a place like that where there is little to no contrast? How can we, you know, gain from that experience?
0: Well, you can always gain from every experience, he says, on the dense plains, Uh, like the the new Earth is at a higher vibration le- level, but it's still much denser than the spirit side. Yeah. So you can still learn from things there, from the physical conditions on the planet. I mean, the planet is much like our planet. It has storms and hurricanes, and you know, hot and cold weather, and and, and different things. So they can experience that. It's not nearly. Uh, as challenging as a life on our earth, yeah. because there's no negative emotions. But their challenge there is to try to uh, acquire knowledge, to learn about the universe, and, and to continue on with, uh, with the love they have for other people, uh, you know, and knowing that, uh, you know, it, it may be an easy life, but uh, most of them have, have already experienced life on our earth and are sort of, uh, have basically graduated and are ready to have uh, an easier experience on the new earth. So it's not nearly as challenging, but they can still learn things. Yeah. And if they just get tired of of that sort of life they just go back to the spirit side and find another planet to incarnate on yeah and there's and there's millions of planets they can choose as well
1: yeah yeah lots of different experiences but for people that actually like the tough challenges that we have on this physical dimension you know if we're moving into a new to tell you the truth garnet it's going to be a long way off there's When you look around the world,
0: it is a long way off.
1: I don't see that happening in the next couple of lifetimes, you know, mine or my daughter's or maybe even her daughter's. It seems to be a long way off before we get to a mass consciousness of of connection. I mean, we are definitely in this um, heightened and amplified experience right now where there are a lot of people teaching it. We had a great teacher just return home the other day, Wayne Dyer. Did you hear about that? But, yes. Because uh, I work as a medium, so I've been in contact with Wayne and he's actually busier now than he was. on. <laughs>
0: no, no doubt.
1: <laughs> he's so happy. He's so happy to be home and he's he's so happy to be working with people like you and I that are continuing his work. Part of his work was to make the spiritual principles really mainstream, really to be able to inject them into a normal life, not just some concept in a book over there or in some other religion or other country, but to have them in our life, in, in our mainstream everyday life as a solicitor, as a accountant, as a, you know, working in a shop, whatever. But to be able to bring those principles into our everyday life. That was one of his intentions. And I think that you know because of your background, you're definitely doing that, because you bring that mainstream into this spiritual arena.
0: Well, I'm just one of the many channels they have. Albert has many other channels. He communicates three, he, and he doesn't tell me who they are. He won't, uh, but he's, he's very busy as well. And uh, there's a lot of, lot of good spirits on the spirit side who are really trying their best to help us. Yeah. And, and and Wayne Dyer is just uh, newly added to that troop, and he's yes. going to continue his work. Yeah. Um, and he and he could probably be more effective from where he is now than he was on Earth. Although he was very effective on Earth, yes. uh, but it, it's it's uh, you know he's he's back home, and and you know his his mission continues. Yeah. Um, for sure,
1: um, for sure. You know that's one of the reasons I have this show because of exactly that story that you've told us about how there is this great awareness happening, this big shift that's going on on our planet right now. I figured that as a teacher and as a channel, I could only reach a few, but if I could speak to many others, then I could reach more. And that's the whole reason behind this show because it's not like I'm a journalist that needs to quiz you because I don't know. I know everything that you're telling me, but I love to get that story out with different perspective, with different experience. I find it delicious the different ways that we come across this experience and then spread that message. I think it's just fascinating. That's why I was fascinated with your story.
0: Well, you're doing a great job, Karen. And, uh, you know, we have made a lot of progress in the last, like 30 or 40 years ago. You would never have your show, and nor Absolutely. would all the other people. And and Albert told me that if I'd written my book 30 years ago, nobody would have read it, you know, and I wouldn't have written it in the first place because the the people just weren't receptive to those ideas. But we've come a long way in the last while and we're we're making good progress all the time. And and I think that's just great. And so I think that if we just all keep up the effort and spread the message, you do your part, I'll do my part, um, you know, we've got to make more people aware of what the problem is so they can work together to try to solve the problem, to get rid of their negative emotions and and embrace love and compassion.
1: And everyone that's watching that is doing their part. Even by watching this, you're doing your part because you're spreading the awareness in yourself and then as you evoke that frequency within yourself, you get to influence those around you. So let's get practical. We talked about negative emotion and how we have to raise our vibration as a collective, as humanity. But that happens on a very personal level. It happens one by one. What was Albert's, what was one of his ideas of how to do that? I know forgiveness is definitely one of the best. You know, you've got to start forgiving those people that you hate. But what did Albert say about how people can raise their vibration and release some of their negative ideas and, and negative emotions?
0: Well, one of the things is to stop judging. Other people yeah. yeah that's one of the big things and, yeah. and not only other people but stop judging ourselves yeah. because we can't you know we, we, we have to get over the, the judgment philosophy that a lot of us have and it just and it just happens all the time. you see somebody walking down the street and you think, Oh, you're wearing funny clothes or, you know, why are you doing what you're doing when you could be doing something else? To people who do things that we don't like, we will say, you know, why did you do that? I don't approve of that. Uh, You know, you really should change your ways. But we can't really judge other people and we shouldn't judge other people because we don't know where they've been, where they're going, what's in their life plan or what they've been through. And so we need to stop judging people. And, And then part of that, of course, then is to forgive people for when they step on your toes when they do things that you don't like and and the first step in that is of course is to forgive yourself for all the mistakes you've made you got to stop thinking about your past mistakes and 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 regretting uh, your bad decisions and just put it all past you learn from your lessons and then move on and forgive other people as well and then that just expands the love and compassion you have for other people because you can't truly love somebody if you judge them and fault them for what they've done You've just got to forgive them and embrace them with love. And, and that's really the key to raising your vibrations. Mm-hmm. Not very complicated. It just means embrace love and stop judging people and, and forgive others for whatever they may have done to upset you.
1: Yeah, which is a lesson that you had very personally with this whole story. First, the judgment from the homeless man that you perceived as being, I suppose, someone that couldn't get their act together. And then the judgment that you've had placed on you from, you know, coming out of the spiritual closet, (laughs) coming out of the spiritual closet. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to know what your work colleagues thought about you.
0: Well, it was mixed. Uh, Some of them, to their credit, actually sent me emails saying, good for you for having the courage of writing and publishing your book. Uh, But others, it was just dead silence. And I know that, I mean, they they wouldn't bother writing an email saying, you know, I think you're crazy. But by their silence, I knew that they were thinking that. And so I've lost some of my contact with some of my clients. In fact, one of my good friends who was anxious to, to read my book, he knew I was writing it and kept on asking me, you know, when is it going to be released, and I'd like to get a copy. And so when it came out, I autographed a copy and sent it to him. Dead silence for six months, nothing. <laughs> we, we've since recommunicated, but for the while, I was wondering, okay, what is he thinking, you know? And, and uh, so anyway, it, it was mixed, but, you know, it, it I, I expected that, and I'm not upset by it, and uh, the, the people who do, choose not to believe me or choose to think that I've lost my mind, yeah. that's their opinion. They, they can have it if they want. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when they die, they'll go to the spirit side and they'll find out who was right. Yeah,
1: that's, that's what I used to think about my father, because my father was very judgmental and very conservative and didn't believe in life after death and all that sort of thing. And I used to think to myself, well, you're going to find out when you die, Dad. <laughs> and You can enough, believe
0: it now or you believe it then.
1: Yeah. yeah. Funnily enough, um, I was looking forward to the conversation I'd have with him after he left, and I didn't hear anything from him, and I was really disappointed. It was kind of like I was—it was kind of like I was trying to say, "I told you so, I told you so," and <laughs> I didn't have that opportunity to do that because I have contact with many beings in non-physical. But Dad didn't come to me, but my husband at the time actually saw him, and he said, "Oh, I've got your father with me," and I said, "Oh, really? What's he doing?" And he said, "He's just smiling." He's just <laughs> smiling. And then I got a vision of him too and I thought, oh, there he is. And that's all he's like, there were no words. There was no like, you know, you were right and I was wrong. There was none of that sort of crap going on. He was just smiling. He was just glowing, just smiling, just enjoying, just smiling. Yeah, it was beautiful.
0: And no doubt very happy that you were right.
1: Well, that wasn't what he communicated. I think, I think just loving the game the game of right and wrong, do you know what I mean? The game that, that we played as these roles as father and daughter and, and just someone, it's like, it's like actors on a stage that have conflict and drama and then come off the stage And, you know, go and have a beer together and have a bit of a laugh about it. That was the sort of impression I got of in his broader perspective, he understood that every conversation that we had between these two human experiences were just that perspective of the human mind, which is not connected to the broader knowing. And when you're back in your broader knowing, you find it all quite amusing.
0: (laughs) Well, actually, now that you mention it, Albert has actually likened life on earth to being like in a play. Yeah. And he says, if you're in a play on Earth, and the script calls for you to stab and murder another person, when the curtain goes down, you don't get arrested for murder because it didn't really happen. It was play acting. And so, souls in the spirit side, when something like that happens on Earth, they think, well, it's just people running through scripts. They're in a play that they're not even aware of that that they're in a play. And and so, if if somebody were to to murder you on Earth, when you get back to the spirit side, you don't feel any hatred or animosity for the perpetrator. In fact, you just shower each other with unconditional love. In fact you probably you know laugh at, at what happened on, on earth and uh, away you go to plan your next incarnation so life on Earth is very much like a play yeah. I mean, Shakespeare had it right yeah. all the words a stage yeah you know?
1: exactly exactly and that's the sort of energy I was getting from Dad as he was smiling at me from the afterlife and not speaking not saying any words but we had we had a lot of drama between he and I and a lot of physical abuse and When I was looking for answers when I was younger in my probably early 30s, late 20s, early 30s, I remember doing something like thinking about exactly what Albert taught you, that all the world's a stage and we're all actors playing our roles. And I was contemplating that thought and thinking, if that is really true, if that is really true, then everyone that I perceived has hurt me has just played their role. They're just, you know, reading from the script. And so in my mind, I was sitting in bed one night I went to the Academy Awards. In my mind, I had this little ceremony with all the people in my life that had played their role. And I gave them awards, just like an actor who so convinces you that he's different to who he really is. And, and the analogy came to me like Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man. You know, Dustin Hoffman's a very intelligent, very creative, very wise man, but in Rain Man, he plays a savant. And so he was given an Academy Award because his acting skills were so magnificent that we were convinced, we were convinced that this was who he was while we watched that movie. And so with that in mind, I was giving out awards to the people that had most convinced me that they were something that they were not. And the Best Actor Award went to my father. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's, That's a cute story. Was really healing for
1: me. It really—that's a great
0: analogy. Yeah. The difference with life on Earth is that we don't know we're in a play or that there's a script that we're following. Yeah. You know, whereas if you're on a in a play on Earth, of course you know all that. So it's it's our journeys are much more challenging because we're not aware of all these things. Well, most people aren't. You are, and I am. But a lot of people just don't know why they're here and what they're doing and what their purpose is. And that's why our job is is to spread the message so that more people can be up become aware of, of why they're on this journey on this planet.
1: So tell me about your journey spreading the message. Have you left Canada or have you done any trips out? Have you ventured out of Canada to spread your love?
0: I have just had one trip. I happened to be on vacation a couple of years ago in Scotland and I had a, a book signing there and, a, and an engagement with a group that had been following me. Uh, so that's the only time I, I didn't go out of the country just for that, but I did it as, an, as a side event. Um, I've been to the, the US a couple of times to speak at the Ozark Mountain Transformation Conference. Mm-hmm. Last one was just last July. First time was in 2013. Um, and I do most of my spreading of my message on radio shows. I've been, this is my 61st radio show. Wow. And uh, they, they originate from a lot of them from the US, some in Canada, some in the UK, some in Australia. They're from. I have one coming up that's from Ireland. And so I find that a very convenient way of spreading my message because I don't have to travel anywhere. Uh, it, it's easy to sit in my den here and uh, and, and c- communicate for an hour or so. Um, so that's my prime function right now. I haven't gone out anywhere else because frankly, I haven't been invited to go anywhere else, but I'd, I'd certainly entertain the idea.
1: And how have people been receiving your message? What's been some of the feedback you're getting from people?
0: I'm getting great feedback. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a lot of emails from people who've heard my, some of my broadcasts or who have read my books. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the uh, transformation conferences, a lot of people have come up to me to say, your message is great, uh, love your books and keep on spreading it. So it's, so it's very encouraging when you hear that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I feel very empowered when, when I get those comments. And uh, I hope they keep on coming. I hope your listeners will feel free to contact me by email if they have any comments or questions.
1: How's has it changed your life?
0: Well, I'm not so critical. I'm not so skeptical. I'm more compassionate and understanding. I, I don't get angry and upset and, and stressed out as I used to be when I was practicing law. Okay. So if, if somebody cuts me off in traffic, I just sort of say, okay, well... They're doing what they're doing and I'm not going to get upset because negative reactions are just are bad for me and bad for everyone around me. And so I I try to look at things in a different light and I'm way less stressed than I was practicing law because in my job it was very stressful and I was uh, constantly under a lot of pressure, time pressures. And uh, I just don't have that now. As an author, I set my own hours. If I feel like writing someday, I'll write. If I don't, I won't. And if I hit a writer's block, I just get up and take my little dog for a walk in the forest and come back. And so it's, I really love it. I don't have to answer to clients. It's a very happy existence. I'm, I'm much happier now than I was practicing law.
1: So you found the life purpose that you were looking for because you said at the beginning of this that you were crying out to understand like, why am I here? And what's my purpose? And there's got to be something more to that. And you found that fulfillment that you were crying out for.
0: Absolutely. And and I found out from Albert that uh, being a lawyer was sort of the preparation for the the real important phase of my life, which is what I'm in now. And now I'm here to spread Albert's message, to write books, to be on radio shows and TV shows and speak at gatherings. And that's my mission. And I enjoy it. And I really accept it fully. And I hope that uh, I can continue to do so as long as as long as I'm around on this planet.
1: Well, yeah, you're here to write books, you're here to wake people up. So just before we go, I wanna ask you about the third book. So the first book was your conversation with Albert, and that was more a conversation. The second book was you going on journeys around the cosmos. What's the third book about? Is that more journeys around the cosmos?
0: Yes, it's more uh, journeys to the spirit side. I actually got to speak with a lot of uh, souls in the spirit side, some of them who had very famous lives on earth. Uh, and some of them were just very ordinary people, but they all had a story to tell. I also got to visit a couple of human civilizations on other planets that were quite different from ours. One of them was a, a matriarchal society ruled by women, which is really quite interesting. They got along just fabulously, <laughs> and, uh, and and the men who, who didn't have any positions of power or authority were quite happy in that role, uh, and they weren't subjugated, they were just quite happy to free to do whatever they wanted to. So that's very interesting. I think um, I it, must. It, it,
1: I think another me must live there because I've had a few husbands like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Book three is, is sort of a continuation of my astro adventures with Albert, and and it's all different, all different places, different people I've, that I've seen. Hopefully, people will find it as interesting as the second book, but we'll have to wait and see until it's released in early twenty sixteen.
1: Did you get to visit any of your other selves, your other lives? Yes. You know, I I understand and I know that from broader perspective, from non-physical, there is no such thing as linear time. And so all lifetimes are happening simultaneously. You know, Eric from Channeling Eric describes it as books stacked on top of each other. Tell us about your other lives.
0: Albert took me to the Akashic, this is in my second book, actually, took me to the Akashic records one time um, and showed me not all of my past lives, but segments from a few of them. Um, and in, in one, I was, uh, it was in ancient Greece, and I was a, a scholar tutoring my student about ancient wisdom that had been passed down from, you know, from scholar to scholar over the years. He showed me a scene where some young Houdigans came in and actually stabbed us with swords because they thought that we were preaching blasphemy. And, 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 and what we were saying was totally out of convention, and they thought the best way to, to cure that was to stab us. So that was one tragic death. In another life, I was… Uh, was that in, a life uh, on earth? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. oh yeah these are all lives on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in another time, I was a poor uh, shoemaker who ended up being hung for stealing apples. Mm. This was in, in, in England in the, I think it' was the 17th century. I was in my thirties and in, in, in another life, I was a, a young girl in India, and my parents had arranged for me to get married to somebody else in the community, you know, because marriages were mostly arranged, and I rebelled, I didn't want to marry somebody I'd never met, and I wanted to marry somebody that I loved. And, and so we had big fights. Eventually, I decided I had to run away from home to escape my fate. And I hid out for a while. But eventually, my father found me. This is after a number of months. And instead of giving me a big welcome hug and saying, thank God I found you, he stabbed me to death. <gasps> <laughs> So those are those are a few of my past lives. I mean, they didn't all end that way, but uh, uh, anyway, it's quite interesting. And I, you know, I could have stayed there forever, looking at my past lives. But Albert said, "No, that's enough. We have other business to attend to." So he hauled me away. But anyway, there are a few other lives described in my second book, and there's a lesson there for me, and hopefully for other people as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Did you see how those lives had impacted the life that you were living currently? Did you see how those experiences related to who you are as Garnet.
0: Yeah, all of your past lives, your current soul is a sort of the sum total of all your experiences and all your past lives. So I could relate to all those and I, and as I'm watching them, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, there have been events in my life where I was using some of the wisdom I learned from those lives, not being aware of where it was coming from, yeah. but that it was sort of the light went on and say, okay, now I know where I got that idea from. It was from this past life. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, and this happens to all of us, except we don't usually get to see the, uh, the details in the Akashic records. Some people can access them, most people can't, but you can go back, when you go to the spirit side, when you return there, you can view all of your past lives, uh, not only on earth, but other planets and, and whatever, not only your own lives, but you can view other people's lives too. One of the things that happens when we leave this planet is that we have a life review. And so we look back on the details of our immediate past life. And the unique thing about that is that we not only get to see what what we did and feel what we did, but we can feel the emotions and hear the thoughts of the people we interacted with, which is really a great learning tool. So if you said something cruel to your neighbor, uh, when you have a life review, you'll be able to feel their hurt at your words and how upset they were and as you're watching this, it's sort of like, okay, I know it's very easy to hurt other people, even when you don't intend to, because now I'm watching and I'm feeling their emotions. So it's a great learning tool. And you can do that in the Akashic Records to all of your past lives.
1: You know, everyone I've spoken to that's had a near-death experience has talked about the life review. And exactly that is that you not only do you get to experience interactions with people from how you felt, but how they felt too. And it's interesting as you start to wake up to who you are as a infinite being is that you start to don that perspective in the physical body because I am somebody who does that. When I'm interacting with someone, I'm feeling exactly what they're thinking or thinking about who I am. Like I'm I'm completely in their energy field. I don't know how to explain it. But as I hear people talk about the life review, it makes sense to me about who I am as a physical being. And I suspect that there are many, many empathic people out there that are doing that as well. You know, sensitive people, not necessarily just females, but males as well, who know how the other person feels. And you know when people have stopped listening to you, even when they're talking to you and you sort of stop in conversation. And yeah, you know how the other person feels. It's an interesting way to live your life, let me tell you.
0: <laughs> well, that, that's an amazing talent that you have. Um, and, and, I think we all have
1: it because as you've said, when we re-emerge, that's who we naturally are. It's just about becoming who we truly are as letting go of the perspective of the physical mind and becoming more of who we are as these infinite, empathic, intuitive, psychic beings because who we are when we're not donning the physical perspective is that. Exactly. It's been so beautiful to talk with you today. I could talk with you all day there's just so much wisdom for you to share that you and albert a bit of a duo a bit of a couple there a lot of people who are waking up you know they want to know how to contact their spirit guides it's like how do i contact my spirit guides what would you say to them what would you recommend
0: well what i'd recommend is what albert said is that you need to, to learn to quiet your mind and get rid of all the clutter of thoughts that, that churn through your mind every day and one of the best ways is just through meditation not easy to do but if you sort of work at it, eventually you'll start to hear your messages, um, a lot more of the messages, and they'll become more apparent to you. And so that's really the only way, because most people don't have the benefit of sort of direct communication from spirits like you do or I do with Albert. And so most people just have to struggle to try to, and the messages are coming all the time. We just have to sort of take time to sit down, quiet our minds and, and watch for them, listen to them and understand what they're trying to tell us.
1: Yeah. So
0: that's really how you, how you, sh- you, you can connect. I did connect with one of my other spirit guides on the spirit side, that's in my third book. Uh-huh. Uh, and I had a conversation with her, her name was Alina. Uh, nice conversation and she sort of was newly on my team because our spirit guides change over our lives as our needs change. So Alina had just come on board uh, recently, had a nice conversation with her. Albert tells me I have others, but he wouldn't say who and I've not yet had any direct contact, but someday I may be able to meet them. Yeah. If not on this life, when I cross over.
1: Uh-huh. So how many more books have you got to write, do you think? Go on
0: Albert tells me I'm in a process of writing book four, uh-huh. and he tells me I'm going to write at least book five and maybe more. So I'm just there at his beck and call. Whatever he tells me to do, I'll just follow.
1: They all sound fascinating, I've got to say. Thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been wonderful. And where can people find out more about your books and get your books?
0: Well, thank you for inviting me, Karen. And they can find my access to my books on my website, which is garnetschuhalzer.com, which is hard to remember. So if you if you dial in dancingonastamp.com, you will get there. Uh, there's information on, on both of my books there. You can download a free excerpt. You can watch a book video. I have access tabs to all my social media sites like Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus and LinkedIn. My email address is on my website. So if anyone has comments or questions, I'd be delighted to hear from them.
1: Beautiful. Garnet, it's lovely that you're so accessible. It's really gorgeous. Garnet Schulhauser for people looking for Garnet's books or dancing or dancing on a stamp. Thank you so much, Garnet. Thanks for being a part of Accentuate the Positive.
0: Thank you. Have a good have a good morning.
1: Thanks so much for joining us for another enlightened conversation on Accentuate the Positive. If you would like spiritual guidance from my guides, Blissful Beings, go to karenswain.com for a reading or to listen to more enlightened thought leaders share their wisdom, go to the listen page on karenswain.com and choose who you want to listen to. All the podcasts are also available on iTunes. Remember to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, you name it, we're there. Until next time, bye for now.